You've heard of instant coffee. You might have had some this morning. You've heard of instant oatmeal. You know about instant winners, instant rebates, instant feedback. And if you're a young person, at least, you know a lot about instant messaging. But you've probably never heard of instant enemies until now. And yet, my brothers and sisters, we've all had them in the past. And in all likelihood, we will have many, many more of them in the future. So we have to be prepared to deal with them. Because of all the enemies we may have on this earth, our instant ones are usually the most difficult for us to handle. Jesus tells us in this very challenging gospel, one of the most challenging that we hear throughout the year, he tells us in this text to love. Not just to love anyone, but to love our enemies. That includes all of them, whether they are the instant type or some other variety. Now, what's interesting about this commandment of Jesus is the fact that our Lord presumes we will have enemies. Did you realize that? He presumes that even the very best among us, even the greatest of saints, We'll have enemies here on this earth. Consequently, he doesn't say, love your enemies if you happen to have them. He simply says, love your enemies, presuming you do have them. Presuming you will have them in the future. And again, even the greatest saints have enemies. The great David from the Old Testament, as we heard in today's first reading, had an enemy in King Saul, who was hunting him down, trying to kill him. St. Paul, the author of so much of the New Testament, most of the New Testament, the author of today's second reading, made a number of enemies during his missionary journeys. And we know that for an absolute fact because he writes about them in his letters. And sometimes he names names. Demas. Alexander the coppersmith. <coughs> the whole letter to the Galatians, or almost the whole thing, is written against his enemies in that particular community. Even Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the second person of the Blessed Trinity made man, had enemies. Among them, the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day who were closed to him and to his message. Sometimes, of course, we may be the cause of the problem. And if we are spiritually mature to any extent, we will have the humility to admit that. If we're not spiritually mature, then we won't want to admit that. But we might be the cause of the problem. Someone, in other words, might be our enemy in a given instance because we have sinned against them in some way. And as I said, we will admit that possibility. 
if we are spiritually mature to any extent. This, incidentally, is what makes us different from Jesus. Yes, Jesus had his enemies, but if someone was Jesus' enemy, you can be absolutely certain it was not his fault. That's not always the case for us. St. Paul says in this text from 1 Corinthians 15 that we all bear the image of the earthly man. The earthly man is Adam. In other words, he's saying we all have within us the residual effects of original sin. We are all prone to hurt one another. And we can do so sometimes in serious ways. So if that's the reason somebody is our enemy, if it's because we have sinned against them in some serious fashion, then the solution is simple. We have to repent. We have to recognize what we've done, admit our guilt, and seek reconciliation. If you have someone like this in your life right now, I strongly urge you to seek that reconciliation during this upcoming season of Lent. Lent begins this coming Wednesday. Nothing better that you can do. No greater sacrifice you can offer to the Lord. Forget giving up the candy. Go get reconciled. That's what the Lord would want of you. That having been said, Jesus in this passage is speaking specifically about those times in life when someone else's sin is at the root of the problem. He's speaking about those situations when somebody else's evil action has caused them to become our enemy. And those situations can come upon us very quickly, can they not? As we all know by our own experience, a person can move from the friend category to the enemy category in literally only a couple of seconds. And I submit to you this morning that it's those people, our instant enemies, that we usually have the most difficulty loving. We have the most difficulty dealing with them. Osama bin Laden, for example, is our enemy. He's the enemy of every American. He's the enemy of everyone in the free world. But let's admit it. Osama bin Laden is a rather distant enemy. He's somebody, in other words, that we don't deal with directly. And we certainly don't deal with him on a daily basis. Thanks be to God. So for us to desire the good for him, which incidentally is what love is at its root. To love somebody is to desire God's will for them. It's to desire the good for them. For us to desire the good for Osama bin Laden, which incidentally would include his conversion and his repentance and his sanctity, for us to desire those things for him really isn't all that difficult. Let's admit it. It might be a lot harder for us if we've lost a relative or friend in the Iraq war. But bin Laden is far enough removed from the day-to-day -day experience of most Americans that loving him in this way really isn't all that complicated. It can be much more difficult for us to desire the good 
for the guy who suddenly cuts us off on the highway, or for the guy who makes an obscene gesture to us in a crowded parking lot. That's happened to me. I don't get a lot of good feelings when that happens. Now, I'm sure it would never happen in the St. Pius parking lot, but you know it can. See, those are instant enemies. It can be very hard to love your sister, your own sister, if she takes your toys or your video games and then breaks them on you. You don't get a lot of good feelings in those moments. It can be hard to love your own brother when he goes to the lawyers and makes arrangements with them to take more of the family estate than he's entitled to. And I know situations where that's happened. It can be very hard to love your own spouse. Yes, your spouse can be your enemy at times. It can be hard to love your spouse or your very own child when they lie to you about something really important. It can be hard to love your co-worker when he steals the credit for something that you did and then happily gets the raise that you should have gotten. See, what makes these situations so difficult is that these are people for whom we have had good feelings, or at least no negative feelings. Then all of a sudden they do something to us and we have really bad feelings toward them. In effect, they become our instant enemies. Last night, you know how I signed the children's forms after Mass to certify they were here? I had a brother and sister in front of me. All of a sudden, they start going at it. I said, were you listening to me in church? You're instant enemies right now. You better love one another. But this kind of thing happens all the time. Lawyers, judges talk about crimes of passion, right? Crimes of passion are committed by instant enemies. People get enraged, and then they do things that they later regret. The violence caused by road rage, which is a real problem nowadays, comes from instant enemies. How often have people said things that they later have regretted very deeply? because they overreacted to an instant enemy. It happens all the time. That's why we have to pray. We have to pray for a lot of reasons. But one of them is this. If we want to love our enemies in the way Jesus wants us to, if we want to be able to desire the good for the people that hurt us, we have to pray that the Lord will fill our hearts with his love, his merciful love, his forgiving love, his patient love. But you know what? That's not sufficient. Please hear that. We can pray all day. That, in many cases, is not going to be enough. In addition to prayer, if we want to love our enemies and be able to do this, we have to train ourselves to think rightly about other human beings. And that takes work, depending on who the human being is you're thinking about. That takes a lot of effort. But if we want to respond to them in a loving way when they become our enemies, we have to make the effort. 
Here we can take a lesson, incidentally, from David and the story we just heard from the Old Testament. Now, if there's anybody who had a really good reason to hate his enemy, it was David. Saul, as you will recall, was the very first king of Israel. But Saul had disobeyed God in a very serious matter. So the Lord said to him, Saul, I am taking now the kingship away from you because of your gross disobedience, and I'm going to give it to young David. Now that wasn't David's fault. That was Saul's fault. But Saul hated David because of it, and wanted to kill him. And that's what that story was about we heard today. It says Saul was looking for David in the desert of Ziph. He wasn't looking for him to give him a hug. He was hunting him down like an animal because he wanted to kill him. Well, all of a sudden, as we heard in that story, the tables cut turned. And the hunter became the hunted. Saul and his men were asleep in their camp one day, and all of a sudden, David and his men find them. I mean, they were like sitting ducks. Here they were. And so Abishai, David's general, as we heard in that first reading, immediately says, David, this is great. Look at him. Let's kill him. And I'll start with Saul. And I won't need more than one thrust of my spear. David refused to let him do it. And why did he refuse? That's the key. He refused because of how he thought about Saul. He recognized this man, evil though he was, as the Lord's anointed. He was still the king, technically. And so he said to Abishai, don't touch him. For who can lay hands on the Lord's anointed and remain unpunished? Now, we don't know what Abishai thought at that moment, absolutely, but I can give you a good guess. I can tell you, he wanted to say to David, with all due respect, sir, are you nuts? This guy hates you. This guy is crazy. We know that. He's out of his mind. He's been tracking you for days. He's been hunting us like animals. And now, look, he's here. You've got him exactly where you want him. End it. We're sick of running away. Just kill him and stop this madness. David, to his great credit, had trained himself to think rightly about his enemy. And so he responded to him with love and mercy instead of with hate. Now, if you read the Old Testament, you see David didn't always do that with respect to his enemies. He was human like the rest of us. But he did it here. He thought rightly. He didn't just pray. Now, this relates very much to our everyday experience because... The fact is, every single person we encounter in our daily lives is also the Lord's anointed. Everybody 
They've either been anointed directly by God in the sacrament of baptism. You're anointed twice in the Lord's name during that sacramental ceremony. Or if they're not baptized, they've at least been anointed with the image of God when their human soul was created. We need to train ourselves, and it really does take effort, to see other people in this way, as the anointed sons and daughters of God, regardless of who they are, so that if they ever become our enemies, especially huh, instant enemies, we'll still be able to love them. We will still be able to desire the good for them. Because remember what Bishop Fulton Sheen once said, and I will leave you this morning with his words. Bishop Sheen once said, the real test of a Christian is not how much he loves his friends. Sheen said, the real test of a Christian is how much he loves his enemies.